welcome to the Mirror Media Podcast with Luca Hey everyone, and welcome to the Mirror Media Podcast. Today we have another recurring guest, uh, Dr. Raj Balkron. Um, we have met him, I think, uh, probably six months ago or something like that. Um, January. January, a year ago. Oh, almost a year ago. Wow, it uh, shows you how bad I've been on the podcast thing. But on the flip side, uh, Dr. Balkron has been like a champion. What is it like? You, you get through like two or three new podcasts every week on the history, uh, I mean, the, the the Indian religion podcast you have, New Books in Indian Religions. I do somewhere between four to eight a month, so one or two a week. Yeah, one one so, or two books we cover a week. Which is which is crazy. Um, and it just, I mean, that's a lot of reading, aside from everything else you're doing. That's kind of like just takes so much time. <laughs> well, that's all I do, right? The podcast is not much yeah. else. <laughs> So, uh, Dr. Volkron, welcome back to the podcast. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting because the the, the way we, re- I mean, not reconnected, but I, I, yeah, we could say that. Um, you know, someone that was listening to my uh, to Meru podcast, I think, reached out to you um, for 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 some coaching and some uh, just general spiritual guidance. And and you know, I've had a few people actually reach out to me before um, and say they 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 reached out to you or they've listened to your podcast. And, you know, I do have to say there's, there's a lot of podcasts out there um, that cover not a lot, but a decent amount that cover like Indian mythology or Hinduism or uh, Indic religions, but most of them. And and I just being frank, I I don't think most of them cut the cut the what's a make the mark, make the mark, make the mark. Yeah. Yeah. Make the mark. Um, Cause the expression you're about to say is probably not, um, yeah <laughs> oh sure <laughs> that's right so yeah, cut the mark because I, I feel like a lot of them they get very insulated in in like a narrative that they're also trying to say whether it whether it's going to be like a a more indian hindu based like what i mean hindu based is really connecting the india side to hindu side all the time where everything is pure perfect and 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 not uh not complex or not complicated. It's like this golden age of India existed until roughly uh, the, the Muslims came. And, and I think that the, the and even, even today, the reason that India and Hinduism isn't the way it should be is because of Western influence. Well, I, I, and I think like the podcast you provide gives you, gives the listener a real strong gamut of like both the very critical like thinkers who are maybe not practitioners, but they're critical, like really critical towards the tradition, which, you know, some people can be upset with or not want to deal with, but you have to deal with it. I mean, I feel like as a Hindu or a practitioner, you have to kind of think these through. And then you have the other extreme, I mean, it's not extreme, but a scholar practitioner who really believes in what they're doing um, in, in the practice of Hinduism and their particular tradition, but they also can bring a critical eye to the to the table. So you get a really good gamut. So I mean, maybe you could speak about like how how do you like pick which guests you want on, and and how do you engage in trying to get that full like coverage for for the listeners? It's fascinating that I'm on a podcast being interviewed about a podcast. It's so meta. It's great. Yeah. And and it's I've actually had <laughs> I've actually I've actually had. Um, whenever I come across a podcast that I think is really rich or a platform, um, um, uh, um, yogic studies, embodied philosophy, of course, the OCHS, I want to share it with people. Um, 
And so I have them on my podcast. I should probably have you on my podcast, actually. That'd be fascinating. But the tables are turned for now, so I won't defer. I won't <laughs> deflect. I must do my duty and battle as you request. Um, um, the, the podcast that I do is primarily in the, in the space between. Uh, it's in the space between. The space between is very powerful. Between Shiva and Shakti, there's great power. Between night and day, twilight, dawn and dusk. Yeah. There's tremendous power in bridging. And I live on a bridge. I'm not a troll. I don't live under a bridge. I live on the bridge. I live in bridging. And so the podcast is called New Books in Indian Religions. Right. And it's part of a consortium of podcasts on the New Books Network. For example, new books in English, new books in history, new books in philosophy, sociology, American studies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Russian studies. Um, the, 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 the mandate of that platform is public education, sharing insights with the public. And so it's a great fit because that's my mission. My mission is one of education, of sharing what there is to share. And so my function is to survey various, uh, whatever's coming out in Hindu studies from reputable right. presses, right? That's sure. not ideological or fanciful. Sure. And I invite the, the author on, ask them some purposely naive questions to launch some, some uh, sometimes I wonder why anyone listens to it because they're so naive. Like, what's your book about? Right. Oh, what's, what is Hinduism? But curate some conversation so as right. what? To focus on their text. So for me, it's not a question of um, whether I agree with their methodology, whether I, whether I agree with their conclusions, whether I agree with their faction or this or that. Let's focus on what they're trying to show in their work. It's like uh, Indra and Maha. We're going to worship Indra now. Okay, Indra's gone. Okay, so Maya and Maha. We're going to worship yeah. Soma now. We're focusing on that work and the merits of that work so people can know it's out there. And it's a neutral space. I don't take sides. Everyone in the Hindu studies world is welcome on that podcast. We've even not- had Bibak De Broy on it. We've had, um, uh, we even had some narrative writers. It's, it really, for me, inclusion is very important. And for inclusion to take place, there has to be a safe space for conversation, the holding of space for various views. That's how I see it. So I, I, I totally agree with that, right? So, but I also find a little bit of like tension here has anything to do with Hinduism, right? There's always this tension that exists, which is, so I thought was interesting when it went from new books in Hindu studies to new books in Indian religions, right? Oh, yes, that rebrand, had, it wasn't, that rebrand, that rebrand happened since our last, our first interview was at the beginning of 2021. Yeah, yeah. Are you, this interview, you are framing my year, really. You're the frame <laughs> narrative of my year. And we're ending now with, 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 your, with your podcast. That's great. So no, it was Hindu studies at, yeah. at the inception, which I inherited. Right. And um, uh, I decided to facilitate a rebrand, Indian religion. Right. So let me, let me ask you about this. And some of this might be a little bit of a pushback, just because like what I find is also like <clears throat> there is especially in academia, this sense of where Hinduism doesn't exist outside of Indian religion, religion, like there's no department of Hindu studies. There's departments of like Indian studies. Religious or, studies. Or religious studies or, or in South Asian religions, right? But there would be a department of Christian theology. There would be a department that's connected to like Middle Eastern, but that's all pretty much Islamic. So my concern is, not a concern, but it's a question. Is, question why is it always 
or not always, but a lot of times, like Hinduism doesn't get its own like space. Why is it always in a larger space? The way I view that is by understanding that comparing quote unquote the religion of Hinduism with quote unquote other religions is comparing apples and oranges or or apples and mangoes, really. Yeah. Um, it's it is it is sort of a function of the mind to think of it as a thing because of this term that was coined through colonial rule that has to do with this word Hindu or Sindhu or those people across the Indus. The term itself is a catch basin for everything happened over really everything happening over there that we don't quite understand. It's a catch umbrella. It's 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 a civilization. It's right. it's 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 an ecosystem of ideas, disparate ideas, right? And so. This is important to understand that Hinduism is an umbrella term for a variety of practices and beliefs. So part of, in in the case of the podcast, part of the rebrand to Indian religions, and I must note, and I say this sometimes in speech and in writing, when I say Indian, I mean far more than the modern nation state. For example, there's Israel, the modern nation state, and there's Israel, the covenant with Yahweh. There's Israel, the people. Uh, A great example is Egypt. I mean, the modern nation state of Egypt is very different than when we say civilization Egypt or or Persia versus Iran. So uh, Indic, Indian, South Asian, to use a a technical term, is is all that was churning between the Himalayas, between Meru Mm -hmm. and, 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 and the ocean. Um, and so, so Indian religions has to do with religions that hail from that context. There's also a thriving, uh, or maybe not so thriving, but there is a Buddhism uh, channel uh, that I'm not involved in. But on this channel, there's now space for Sikhism studies or Jainism right. studies and space for issues uh, where we see Islam and Christianity in uh, Bharata. But so, and this is where we end up having like this really, I think, difficulty in, 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 you know, taxonomy here, right? Because ultimately, like, if you're, if we're saying Hinduism is this broad coverage of all traditions and things that developed within the Himalayas, Meru to the ocean, then the differentiation of Buddhism and Jainism and Sikhism is also very much like, there's that tension, right? Like, is it exactly? All and so, so that's why it's it's quite useful to think of them as dharmic traditions, like the Dharma yeah. Academy of North America. To think of them as united in a samsaric worldview. It's right. an ideological ecosystem that, in many ways, is a structural opposite of the Abrahamic ecosystem. Right. 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 So it's an, it's it's quite useful to think of them in that way. No, but you know, I, I will say this. I mean, despite my questioning here, I do enjoy the podcast you have with like when you bring Christians on to, I mean, not Christians, but scholars of Christianity in, in India and to talk about even like issues with um, modern issues with like Christianity in India and the tensions between the Hindu communities and Christian communities, missionary work. Cause I think those are all important things. I'm just really trying to have a, uh, you know, just kind of. Pull the uh, these threads to have a Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I welcome conversation. I welcome conversation. Yeah. Uh, uh, irrespective of whether we agree or disagree, respectful engagement with somebody who's intelligent and caring or both. What else do we need? For me, um, I'm either a, a hopeless romantic or, or, or incorrigibly idealistic or five centuries ahead of my time. Yeah. But I think of this thing called humanity, mm-hmm. right? What it means to be human and the human experience. Yeah. And so for me, it's 
imperative to leave space for whatever group or person is expressing their reality or their concerns without standing in that if at all possible, holding space for conversation. So I don't, I don't, um, I'm the host of the podcast. I'm not the resident uh, Hindu study scholar or Puranicist or Hindu or Christian or, right. or seeker. I'm the host of conversation, right? And so it's incumbent upon me to leave space for all the conversations that matter to the Indic world. Right, no, and you do that definitely. But it's also, I think it's also bear, uh, worth bearing out that, you know, I, the idea of just like, having that distance it doesn't exist as much as we want it's like this it, it's that distance is somewhat manufactured i'd say like because when you bring to the table you bring who you are completely and that but, does come with like our biases or our ideas yes the the, the, the the manufacturing that i that i'm sort of hearing when you speak is this idea that a scholar is detached and sort of robotic yeah. and clinical that I relate to a great deal. There's a person, a set of values and ideology, conscious or unconscious without right. question. What I'm saying is when two people are in conversation, yeah. I have to be able to listen to what you're saying, not through the lens as much as possible of my ideology. Sure. That, that all I'm saying is taking a step back and holding space for conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I don't receive much feedback about the podcast, um, but when I do, it's it's positive. It's, it's a bit sur it's a bit surreal to speak into a black box and who knows where it goes. And there's tens of thousands of downloads a month, um, but I don't have a very active social media presence. And the odd note that I get is very favorable. I had one complaint in the history of the podcast after probably near two hundred episodes. Yeah. Now. A concern, someone who tracked me down and said, look, um, I, I quite enjoy your podcast. You know, I, I heard that episode about Christianity in India. And, you know, I think you should take a much more critical lens. Here are some sources for you. Consider this critical theory. Consider this right. and this and this. And for me, I was thinking to myself, uh, I'm not does this person think that I'm not capable of critical thinking? Do they think I'm not aware of the scholarship? Do they think this is the space for, for critical engagement? And then I responded and I said, these are great points and there are plenty of platforms for critical engagement and then yeah. some. This platform is to showcase whoever's on there. And, and, and they understood when I said this, my dharma there is not as a scholar, it's as a yeah. host and as a host, the guest is God, period. Yeah. No, and that makes sense, and 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 I do appreciate that. Um, so I, I do I like I said beginning. It's I think it's great that you have this entire gamut because I actually learned a lot. Like, there's gaps. Obviously, we all have gaps in our knowledge, and I have many gaps. And and some of these gaps get really filled in with like at least like not the gap itself, but like where to look, right? You know, if 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 I'm like for example, like there was a podcast uh, that I listened to all of them. Um, so I tend to lose track of which ones wow i'm 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 uh flattered that's great i'm glad no, you do a podcast yeah I'll, I'll do it like you know when, when i go to the gym or whatever or driving the car just it's, sure it, instead of having like music playing because i i get to listen to something right you know um so i actually um i i do get sources from reading your podcast i mean from listening to your podcast where i'll just go then go look up the, the that's author. the hope yeah yeah and then and then check out like maybe like other thinkers that are thinking in that area that might be along with what the author is saying and the people that disagree and then everyone else in the peripheral. So exactly. it actually really helps like push listeners towards, e even if you're, if you have the confirmation bias, you think the, uh, the guest is hundred percent right. 
it leads towards some good work they they're doing and then also like if you don't agree then there's you get you get the opposite like i love the work i wish to be honest i wish the podcast with donald davis was longer um because i just feel like there's so much um uh did you do donald davis or no was it uh, malcolm you did right no i did do donald davis yeah so but i feel like that area of like hindu studies is so not touched upon like I, I, I find it fascinating that the history of like laws and Dharma Shastra and um, so I, I love that podcast. But I, so, um, you know, more like those kind of things are, are really kind of where I'm drifting towards in some level. So I do appreciate that, 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 that wide gamut. Fantastic. Fantastic. So when you, uh, so I, I think I might have asked, so how, how, like what, do people reach out to you for the podcast or do you have to go search for them? So my process is essentially um, uh, two or three times a year. I'll take yeah. a look at the various um, uh, go-to publishers in our field, whether it's, whether it's Rutledge, whether it's Sunni, whether it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll take a look and see if there are new Hindu studies books, but more often than not, they'll be on my radar because of a listserv because of a colleague sharing an announcement sometimes people will contact me and say you know can you cover this book and i'll just um maybe quarterly or so i'll just send a bunch of invites out and 99 of the people say yes sure yeah. they might be sheepish they might be uncomfortable they may have never done a podcast before they may not even be quite sure what a podcast is but the, the 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 there's an audience and they don't need to be in the audience to actually get their their message out to that audience and so they're very happy typically and they're, they're very grateful um and i'll i'll email them to ask them and they'll typically say yes and i'll say okay we'll send a review copy if you can and they they do and then we set up a time and then we get on a call like this and um they're unscripted there are four or five seminal questions that i tell them i'm going to touch on these and then we just jam we just riff we just if there's a piece where i find okay maybe i could dip into this it won't it won't right. lose the audience if i dive into this concept or draw out this broader theme or at times more often than not the author themselves is not aware of why this is important or if they are aware of why this is important they're not conscious of it they're not really it's not top of mind for them i find often and maybe that's because i'm, I'm a big picture thinker maybe it's a flaw at times but they're not quite understanding why this is really important sometimes they are aware and sometimes they're not and i think it's my job to kind of prompt these thirty thousand foot view takeaways for people who would just want to have a flyby view of the scholarship and then they can descend and examine as they see fit um after we have the recording it's of course edited and posted and then i typically inform i always inform the 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 author that okay the podcast is out share it whatever you'd like yeah. and uh, being a neophyte on social media you, you know um I, i've started tweeting out you know uh this is my little baby twitter you know this here check out my interview with this person and if i can yeah. tag the author or tag the publisher and that's my little process and that sort of that's it. That's an ongoing thing. It's a lifestyle, as you well know. It yeah. started off as a favor. It ended up as a lifestyle. This is just that's the white noise of my inbox is bookings for the podcast, right? In many ways. So, how long does it take you to like do the full process for one podcast? Is it like ten hours from um, like editing all that stuff? Yeah, it it varies. Uh, oh, I thought you meant how long it takes to book the person. It varies. Sometimes I could have them on within a couple of weeks. Sometimes it takes months. But for me, um, it's just for me, it's 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 in, it's it's the bookings, it's engaging the work, it's having the conversation, yeah. And then I send the audio off to New Books Network, 
and they do some minor editing. They're never censored. They're never sliced and diced. They're, you know, there was a pause or something fell over or, you know, they have to, you know, or right uh, the phone rang um but they're never censored so they take care of the the the, the trimming and they post it okay um, have you thought about doing it on video too because i think that'd be like might be able to reach a larger audience uh, not larger in this yeah uh, you know what it's it's crossed my mind because i do it on zooms like you do yeah. Uh, yeah. and and the video is typically there and my god i I've deleted like uh, every time I'm finished, I just delete, like I've deleted all these video files. And I thought maybe I should post these on YouTube. Maybe somebody might be interested in seeing what these scholars look like. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> no, it, it, but it, it, there is something there, right? You, you get like, instead of just the voice out of the, the box, it's like this entire like persona. Right? <laughs> <You> get- <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is, I think it's very important, but you know, um, it is like, I, initially we just started when i did the first started like three years ago it was really just to do audio and then i was like you know what let's do the video because i'm like it's actually good for me also to get face to face i just remembered why the, the thought i had in that moment between emails when i had that thought i had another yeah. thought which is am i allowed to do that i mean, I better check with new books network so maybe i'll check with them and ask them can i post the videos yeah. as well and start a youtube channel yeah it's, it's well worth it um you get a lot of people that prefer to watch it than listen you know um, what? So- Starting 2021, I'm putting that down. 2021, New Year, video. People can actually watch the videos if they want to. That'll be hilarious. And, and but then, get- I'll, but then I'll have to actually, you know, you know, it, well, it won't matter. I wear like you know yeah. a, a white gap shirt every day, anyways, as I'm at home. Um, but I may have to shave more often than I like. And- <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it, it does make me, it, it, I think my wife's happy because when I do podcasts, I come out clean because I'm on TV or whatever. And she's like, well, whenever you do podcasts, you don't look like a caveman. I'm like, thanks. I appreciate but, it. but either way, I think it'll be befitting the podcast because I'll either look like a Swami or an ascetic. Which is both. <laughs> either, either way, it's it's on brand. Perfect. So, 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 so I was going to ask, um, along with, do you guys, when you guys do your podcast and then post it, um, do people get discounts on books? Is that something that 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 New Books Network will or is trying to offer? So, because a lot of people will listen and go on if they get like you know twenty percent discount or ten percent discount. Yeah, no, it's some it's, of these books are no... like hundred and some dollars. Sure, like, absolutely. <laughs> I I can't afford my own Rutledge books. That's fine. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's it's really just about getting the word out there. Yeah. Uh, the New Books Network doesn't get involved with sort of discounts for different publishers and different titles and all that. Obviously, the publishers often, you know, on and off offer what they're offering. Right. But no, it's it's just about getting the information out there. And if the person is satisfied, they're satisfied. If they're interested in learning more, they'll, they'll find it or they'll borrow it or they'll buy it. Um, but it's a more it's more about education than than sort of partnerships or commerce or sales. Yeah. I mean, sales are impacted, I'm sure, to some extent. But the, the greater impact is hundreds, if not thousands of people are now aware of that author and their yeah. work. And they may just, oh, this is interesting and tune it out. Or they may be like, wow, I've got to follow that person because I've been thinking about this. I'm working in this niche. And so without really trying consciously, some of the feedback I get is that, you know, these are becoming part of book lists. These are becoming part of assignments for students. Mm-hmm. These total integration with the Academy, which I did not foresee at all. This was a public facing podcast to bring... Yeah. Uh, to kind of, you know, uh, bring down to the ground what's happening at the Ivy Tower. But uh, the scholars themselves are rolling around in the fields and, and having their picnic uh, 
it's very, very, very interesting. And then they go, it's, it's really interesting. There's a panel uh, at the American Academy of Religion from the Hinduism group called New Books in Hindu Studies. Yeah. And clearly there's been, you know, some influence from knowledge of the podcast. I mean, not that, I mean, this is what scholars do. They look at new books in their fields. Yeah. But that bridging, it, for me, it was a one-way bridging. That was the intention. But it's really sort of, the membrane is porous both ways because the podcast is really impacting academics in a certain way, which I find fascinating, actually. So I, I, here's a question, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but I, I actually think this is, very interesting from my perspective. So like the work you're doing and, and the work a lot of other people are doing in terms of like being Moses and bringing the, the tablets down from on high to the ground. <laughs> Prometheus, you know, here's, <laughs> here's fire humans. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it, it's very much like in, in the vein of the open source kind of like knowledge dissemination of the past or maybe. Um, but my, the, the thing is we talk about books here the area of publishing is one of the areas where there's like this crazy, to be honest, uh, monopoly of sorts of control of the, of information dissemination, right? Like in this age of open source, what do you think is the reason why publishers are still being able to command these crazy prices? And why do scholars like yourself or, you know, all the people you, you interview decide to still go down the publishing route when there's so many other viable options um, in disseminating their knowledge, is there? I mean, so I, I it's it's just something I was thinking about. Well, there's a podcast with uh, a colleague uh, named Dominic, who is very much interested in this. We talk about some of these issues on the podcast. You know, those kinds of answers are well beyond things that I think about. They, I care about them, but yeah. I, I don't have nearly enough knowledge of how the, the field works. My sense is that. Um, open access, not open access, I take that back. My sense is that um, publishing from presses that are not as reputable isn't regarded as safe or as accepted or as vetted typically. So the the idea is like with any brand, right? You're, this is from sure. a press, there's a certain standard, whether that's a myth or whether that's quality control, bona fide quality control, that's my sense, but my sense is that we're, uh, as I say, I'm sort of from the future, probably, but my sense is that we're undergoing a huge transformation in a couple centuries, the presses will be, they won't go the way of the dodo, but they'll be, they'll be transformed beyond recognition of what we see now. There, there's no way to hold that back. There's something's, it's shifting. It really is shifting. Yeah, yeah I mean, because I can totally see a business model in which a bunch of authors get together, 100 authors and say, you form a collective in which people that buy your books, you know, pay into the collective and you can hire an editor for there and then publish it on your own or, you know, release the- Are you, are you trying to give me another project to, <laughs> to spearhead? Like, do you want me to organize something else now? Hey, uh, you know, it, it's your world, man. It's your world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just find it because it's, because I buy a lot of these books and I'm like, God, this is 120 bucks. And I'm like, and it's, and these, because they're scholarly the books, some of them are short, right? There might be like maybe 100, 200 pages and they're, and, and they're, they're really focused works. And I'm like, that's a lot of, lot of money for- Therefore, you know, the monographs are done with Rutledge. They're what? They're for libraries. They're for yeah. specialists. They're for certain subfields within Hindu studies. Someone has to be very nerdy or very much a Raj Balkman fan to, to drop that kind of cash on an academic book. 
Yeah. But many people are interested in these ideas. That's different from doing a public book, right? That's it's a whole right. different enterprise. It's a different model. They're they're marketed to people with professorships and research libraries. That's right. So people like you and I were kind of in between. We're too, you know, we're you know, we're too smart for our own good in terms of the kinds of things we want to read. Um, but not smart enough to find a better way to do to get them without paying all that much money. But um it, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. It, it, it's tricky, but I also feel like there's there's so much great knowledge and information in these books that when we don't get it disseminated earlier, it just feels like the general con- conversation around these ideas is still stuck in the well, past. You're, you're in a different place than most listeners. You are someone who brings them that knowledge or connects them with that. So you're in the know, and that's part of your niche or your dharma or what it is you're doing right? That's important to what you're doing, sure. but that's not for everybody, right? Many people would much prefer or are able to co-lead people like you or myself for what we figured out by looking at these books. True, true. That, that's a legitimate point. So let's shift a little track here. We talked so much about the podcast and academia world. Let's jump over to, you also, you know, aside from your other 20 different projects, you do the coaching, you know, <laughs> what about so what about like, so, okay, I, I'm asking so a lot. Um, I have seen, there's a lot of coaches out there, you know, who are life coaches, spiritual coaches, you know, w- what do you think about the tradition or your background gives you the, the unique perspective to, to engage in this? Because it's, it's not therapy, but it is kind of, right? At some level, it's, you're not actually doing psychotherapy, but what you are is providing some insight and some, some maybe at some point oversight and some unique uh, perspectives for the person to consider. So what about like your training, your background has brought some, that part of it to you? Right. So coaching, what I call coaching, first of all, to your point, everyone and anyone can be a coach these days. Yeah. And there's a a vast um, array of standards and training and dispositions for coaching sure i use the word coaching because there's no better word that i can come up with life coaching is the word that i've come up with for something that i've been doing forever at least since i was 12 years old sure i remember vividly even as a teenager adults would come to me and they would be heard and some advice would issue forth and it'd be great that's just part of my disposition the ability to see a person see where they're at understand their journey um, connect with what they're struggling with and offer a path out of it or some support out of it. That's just a way of being for me. I've done that my whole life. It wasn't until 2016 that I started charging for it because as I mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, I was completely broke. I finished my, my dissertation after many years of training of, of any kinds and uh, there were no jobs at all in my field. And so I entrepreneured, right? I thought, okay, well, let me, let me monetize my mission so I can, yeah do it so I can do what I'm here to do and so coaching is how someone can sit with me for an hour for whatever multiple hours over time and gain what they need in terms of the rut they're in or the change you're looking for the relationship issue the the job issue uh, the questions about their spiritual practice so in that particular paradigm uh, much of it is coming from just my constitution whether you want to attribute that to genes or upbringing or sobhava or karma, it's it's something I was born with. Sure. In addition to that, 
I've had many, 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 many hours, thousands of hours of experience, mentoring, coaching, guiding, teaching. So I get people. My real expertise in this world is people. My real, true expertise and passion is people. Okay. Um, I did do a coaching certification just in case someone thought, you know, I might need one. I have, I, I did do some training in coaching um, between that and the humanities degrees and my particular disposition and just having so much experience with people. It's a natural fit. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a therapist, obviously, because I don't have psychological degrees. Yeah. Um, and in, in a way, the paradigm that I use to see people, understand people, it's broader and deeper than psychology allows anyway. So it's a more holistic view of what a person is, in my view. And so really, it's, it's a particular synergy of what I can do for that person. Many a time, they'll say like, wow, we've gone so much further in a month than after two years of therapy. Some of them have been to therapy. Yeah. It's not something that I know what else to call. But it's something that I do for a person or with a person or empower a person to do in their life. And life coaching is the, the best word I've come up with, but I'm not sure if there's a better word. Yeah, right. That's, so, that's, I'm being as honest as I can be. No, no, absolutely. So does, how much does like, you know, your expertise in, you know, Shastras and, and Puranas yeah, and, and come the, into play? Oh, that's the thing. There's this, it all gets folded in like so my years on the planet my my, my various connections and conversations and experience they all get right. folded into the back of my brain on the human experience insights right. into the human experience uh, mythic texts insights into the human experience wisdom text insights into the human experience thousands of hours of spiritual training insights into the human experience and also the ability to see because your consciousness is more refined right. with with sadhana obviously and so really and truly what i know better than anything else on this planet is not religion it's not shastra it's not spirituality yeah. i know much about that it's human beings that is what i know bar none how humans work what drives them where they're headed what their pitfalls are i obviously won't indicate most of that in general conversation because sure. they have to be in a paradigm where they're open to that to hear what's what but that's where i'm at but but no, it, it strikes me as so, you know, if you, if you look at like, again, we'll look at Mahabharata, right? Like anytime. It's human beings, life wisdom, yeah. practical advice. So this, this, it's the guts of the Mahabharata, the Ramayana. This is the guts of what it means to be in flesh, working our karmas out in this world. Right. And, and this is where like, I find it really interesting, the parallel here, because like in the Mahabharata, Yudhishthira has constantly these doubts and the entire you know you know Vanaparva is him lamenting about like you know his situation and that's where Nala Damayanti and all these stories come in but this is really about him like coming to a Rishi who comes who happens to come by you know whether it's Markandeya or whoever to show up and he's like my life sucks I don't know what to do it, it's like a client coming a, to you I, I'm feeling it's, I'm dealing it's with life this. coaching yeah. this is ancient indian life coaching that's Absolutely. what's happening and they do it via narrative right and this is where i think it's beautiful it's like instead of being like well you should do this thing or you should do that thing it's no. let me tell you this story about no, how someone lived their life when coaching someone you can't give them the answer yeah and it's there is it's not about the destination it's about how they get there so a very powerful coach or teacher a very powerful, effective coach or teacher, they will be able to see the person or sense them and see where they are, see where they're trying to get and do what they need to do to facilitate that person getting there. 
Right. Because when they grasp that insight, they'll never forget it. It'll be transformed. You can't unrealize something you realize. You can forget something you've learned. And if right. it's just content. I will bring content or Shastra or, or, or vignettes, this content as well as consultation, as well as counseling, as well as strategy. But it's not that I know what your problem is. This is what you need to do. And if you don't do this, this will happen. Whereas often it is that case in my brain. Right. But, but that's, I can see where they are. I can see the rut they're in. I can see where they're trying to get. I can see what's wrong with their car. How do I get them to make the changes with their driving or their mirror or their engine to get right. where they need to get? So, so this, that's why story is so powerful. Story points you to a truth or a value. Um, uh, <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but yes. Yudhishthira needs a really good spiritual, like learned life coach or 17. <laughs> Al's book is all about that, right? Yes, that, but that education, yeah. that education is not what we think of as education. That's right. classical humanities, person formation, That's pedagogy. Right. That is what's missing in our world. I 100% that. agree. So, that. And the thing, this is why I love, you know, narratives is like you said, it points to that truth. But in that pointing of the truth in the story, all options are open. So the human being, as they hear that story, they're able to play out the options in their head. It has to meet you where you're at. Yeah. And, the and story so, meets you where you're at. Exactly. And so when you put yourself in the shoes of say Nella and, and, and dealing with the issue of <laughs> whatever it is, you suddenly feel yourself making those decisions he made or she made. And then in your life, like instead of someone saying you shouldn't do that, you're like, well, you know, Nala did this and this and this, and this is what happened. It, it's still, it's like this open-ended thing, but you know the end's already there. The truth is, whether it's the Mahabharata, whether it's Shakespeare, whether, oh, yeah. it's, Lord, whether it's Lord of the Rings, human experience, our, our psychic processes, the inner life, this is what these mythic these larger than life these narratives are teaching us about what it means to be human and the kinds of issues human deal with and possible ways to address those issues yeah no absolutely which is which is why i mean i think like people and what netflix and stuff does this they tell stories but again i i, I sometimes i feel like the visual domain is very different from the audio domain right of like, course so it, it's just the visual domain is everything's provided to you there's the, the ability for kalpana or or you know creativity or imagination doesn't doesn't play as much. Oh well, 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 well what what the visual domain? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, the audio domain is what it's occurring on akasha, the most subtle element. Right? Yeah. It's the most subtle. Yeah. It's the most subtle. It's the most conducive to creativity. Right. So I find it so like even so, which why podcasts are great. Listening to like even Arthi Don's uh, uh, Mahabharata is is really nice. You know, it's great to see the visual because it feels come to life. But when you hear it, it's your mind, mind excites. It, it like opens up and possibilities start like really flourishing out, which is part where I also think like the the focus on Indian thought for a large part was Vak, right? The power of speech. Uh, oral, was oral traditions, right? Yeah, oral traditions. The, the, the speech was so vital. Without question. Without question, there. Without question, there. Sound is important. Oral transmission is important. Mantra recitation, narratives, hearing narratives. The, the Mahabharata itself is meant to be told, and it tells you that by all the people in the Mahabharata who are told stories. The, yeah. the, the narrative itself, the stories within stories within stories for teaching. 
and it's it's absolutely profound so for me that the storytelling brain and the the knowledge of purana uh, and the studying uh, as i do at the academy and dealing with people they're all part of what 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 is brought to bear in understanding someone's journey in a coaching session or even just a conversation frankly yeah i I mean so do are most of your clients are they Westerners, Indians, are they, I mean, what kind of background, if you don't mind? I mean, we no, don't I don't, I, I don't mind. No, I don't mind. And it's, it's really interesting that you asked that because a couple of days ago, um, I did a talk. It was fascinating. So I interviewed a scholar on the podcast named John Coyne, who okay. is a shared food, uh, shared devotion, uh, that book. And he's, um, he's a scholar at Michigan State University and all was well. And then he circled back with an invitation. Would you like to do a public talk? And I thought like, um, sure. Something along the lines of Hindu spirituality or Indian spirituality. And it was very, he was very conscientious and very clear and very conscientious and clear and systematic about stating the concerns that people might have and how problematic the topic is. But he says, we're approaching you because in addition to being, you know, an, an academic, uh, uh, you're also a life coach. Yeah. He, here's an academic saying, you're an academic uh, in the field of Hindu studies, and you're also a life coach. Can you do this talk on in the spirituality series for us? Right. And we got to talking. What he wanted me to do was slightly unheard of for an academic talk. He wanted me to, to sh- share insights pertaining to the kinds of people that are coming and how they're viewing Indian spirituality, quote unquote. Right. And the people that come are uh, of Western origin or they're of Indic origin, but they're typically Westerner in their circumstance. So they're living in the West. They were trained right. or raised in the West. And um, once upon a time, the coaching didn't really pertain to Shasta or spirituality. Now more and more people are showing up where they have life concerns that are practical, but they also have, uh, for them, some sorrow is real karma is real whether they're in white bodies whether they're in brown bodies and they really value interpreting and addressing their issues from within the indic worldview so more and more the boundaries between the coaching and the scholarship and the the wisdom teachings they come together where people show up who are on board with wisdom teachings or indian spirituality or hindu thought and that's the lens whereby they they deal with their life issues. So how does that differ from when you interact with like Indian um, or people of Indian descent, uh, you know, either coaching or uh, engagement with the traditions? Well, I interact with people of Indian descent all the time. Um, I very rarely in my circles probably because I'm in the West, I very rarely interact with someone of Indian descent in India. Typically, someone of Indian descent, quote unquote, abroad, or maybe born in US, US, UK, Canada, um, etc. And so my, I can only speak to what I know in terms of who comes to me. And I think part of the issue that many folks are having is bridging these paradigms, bridging Indic thought with a Western worldview particularly a scientific worldview. Um, many folks have issues of, of, of culture and fitting in and mate selection from different cultures if they're from one or um, cultural appropriation. Is it okay that I'm a yoga teacher and I love this and I'm, I'm a, a white middle-aged woman, quote unquote. I mean, someone's actually come to me with this question, right? right? So 
more and more the 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 people who are looking for help in their life, whether it's relationships or work, um, there's always a uh, there's always a spiritual or personal piece that they're trying to work out, and I guess that makes sense if they're based on where they're finding me, what context right. they're finding me. I don't know if I've answered your question, but uh, well, it, it was more of well, the question was more of like how the I guess maybe you did answer because maybe the Indian descent people are no different from the the non-Indian descent people in the West, right? And their engagement with these traditions or these ideas or um, or is there a difference, right? Like- Depends uh, is, on the person, right? Yeah. Depends, okay. depends, it has to. So part of the, part of the struggle, the, the reason why the coaching is very effective is exactly the flip side of why it's difficult to characterize it. It's personalized. Yeah, it's responding to that person in that situation and what they're dealing with and their perspective. Right. So one of the things I, I, I joke about at, at the school or elsewhere, I say, you know, advice is like underwear. It can't be one size fits all. It's too personal. So one individual may have the best of intentions and may really have a draw to Indian spirituality and thought, and they're studying at my school or somewhere else or yeah. with a teacher, and they're teaching yoga and they're teaching their students to to um, to register, acknowledge the roots of yoga, and they're pointing them to develop that if they're interested in, in enrichment in Indian thought. I personally don't see an issue with that. They're not the ones who have to worry about the cultural appropriation. They have to worry about it in terms of in term in the ways in which we all have to worry about it. But they're actually being responsible and respectful. That's very different from someone who doesn't um, uh, understand the need someone who wishes to sanitize and secularize yoga for their situation like these people are in different situations right right um uh, a, a young man who's finished his um university and he's of indian origin his his parents are uh, tamil brahmins and he's now trying to navigate the ethos at home and the ethos in the business world and how to bring right. them together, you know, these kinds of situations. Yeah. I mean, I, I find like, you know, you touched upon this, but maybe we talk about this more is the idea of cultural appropriation. You know, like I find myself all over the map on this. I'm not consistent in my, in my, in my ideas around this. Like I know I get upset when I see ab abject misuse or commercialization of these Indian or Hindu ideas or concepts or or even like I, I know practices and then but I also feel okay well if we're these things are universal and they're supposed to be practiced by human beings or in a certain way won't they naturally change with time and place and situation and and maybe it's not a question of appropriation but uh desacredization and turning it into like more of like a commercial, like the, the idea of, um, you know, like it still sits tough with me sometimes is idea of giving, like this is why I'm very much, very against things like um, selling of knowledge, right? I, I find knowledge to be so pure that it, it should be freely given. And then, and then I love the idea of Dakshina as you, for what it's value to you give or whatever it is. And I feel the same goes for a lot of different things that are supposed to be seen as are treated sacredly. But now we're commercializing it because we as a society think that everything has a value, um, a value that we can barter for. So 
I don't know. Am I making sense or am I just like rambling here? No, you're expressing a variety of perspectives. And what you're doing is you're vocalizing aloud your own conflicted stance on this very fraught and complex issue. Anyone who has a simple answer for this is not seeing straight. There is no simple answer. Because on the one hand, clearly, um, you know, bastardization of, of a culture of any kind, um, commodification is, is problematic. Clearly pretending that, you know, yoga developed uh, in a vacuum and it's like sort of, you know, the physical version of mindfulness and it's, it's sanitized and yeah. it's, you know, corporate wellness. That's the issues with that are, 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 are numerous without question. Right. Having said that, we need to learn how to be a globe, how to be a people, how to be a species. And we will naturally, as has always been the case, be influenced by other people, be boring from other people, be eating the foods of other people until after a generation or two, they're now our foods. This is going to continue. This has always been the case and it's exasperated in this age where never before have we had a, a sort of global consciousness and the kinds of communication advances we have, the kinds of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The sure. pandemic has taught us nothing. It's that we are a species and we are a globe, whether we like it or not. We need to figure out how to play nice. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's willy-nilly and it's a wild west. But listen, there are people who are drawn to Indian spirituality for their own growth, and then they want to share it, they want to teach it. Right. I personally don't see an issue with that whatsoever, both from a humanistic perspective and also from an Indic perspective. If that's that person's karma, they may be more Indian than you are. They happen to be in a brown body in this life. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Right. But at the same time, <sighs> I'll share with you the whole money thing that you touched on because yeah. it's something that's very important to me. That's um, it was a huge journey that occurred with me or in me on this issue. I literally nothing was working. I literally had four cents to my name. I, if it wasn't for my mother's generous, you know, holidays gift, she yeah. went off to you know. I w- I don't know what I would have done that um, December twenty fifteen rang in the new year 2016 with four cents to my name and the only thing that worked for me was entrepreneurship but i really i felt like an escort i felt like you know i felt like i might as well sell my body i really really felt uh, you brought me here for this after all this intellectual emotional spiritual training this is what you want me to do to be a businessman really i've never taken a business course in my life ever not even an economics course believe it or not artsy fartsy guy (laughs) right um and i had this huge journey huge it took a lot of inner work i started off giving away my sessions or having them pay as you can yeah Uh, courses pay as you can you know for me i'm just telling you my journey i've had this radical transformation regarding money where Initially, I fell into the trap that our civilization does in thinking of money as matter. Money is gold. Money right. is something to, to occasion greed to be hoarded. Money is Shakti. No, absolutely. Right? And so, no, for, for my personal journey with it, I now understand being 
being the beneficiary of and engaged in parampara relationships and seeing various exploitative situations on both sides of the guru shishya dynamic for me i understand that the 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 the, the currencies of old the seva the bhakti yeah. the respect we we're impoverished our culture is impoverished we don't understand those currencies we're not capable of those currencies we're poor the currency of this climate is money and money is money is an expression of energy right right so it's an exchange where you know you can't give me service you can't pay my rent you you can't pay my bills you don't know what i need this is how you take care of me this is what i can do for you and yeah, it makes right. it right I, I totally get that so so my issue is not that particular thing because that particular thing you're still not treating it as a commodity you're treating it as a a, a real in, engagement for for which it's value to you and value to the person mm. that takes it right yes, and not a monetary yes. value it's a value yes. of a of relationship at some level. Yes. My concern is commodification as we think of the corporate world, right? Like in this world where it's just something that you can buy one day and sell the next and get rid of it and throw it around. Yes. Yes. So I, I have no concern with like people giving the knowledge in a relationship, right? Because that's, that's, that's something else that there's, there's, like you said, there's this transfer of energy on both sides. It's this power of, of play, which that, that to me is like, even I, so I'm on a couple foundations and um, you know, uh, one of the foundations is really focused on Kashmir Shaivism and they want to, uh, you know, promote it. And this is a, this is a conversation too, that we're, we were having, having a relationship with, with your, with your students or your disciples, or whatever you want to call it that way, it doesn't lessen because there's money involved here. Because money is just a simple a way for us to yeah it's a way yeah. for us to express that relationship, yeah. but it's personal. Exchange, right. yeah. But yeah. when we do it as like a this, and this is where my issue is like it's like corporatized when it's like when when like I'll, I'll use it like a Deepak Chopra type or whatever. Like it's it becomes something else. Well, let me put it this way: without without speaking about any individual you don't have to i i no I, I no, no no that's fine i mean that's fine what i'm saying is i'm, I'm trying to share a principle that, that yeah. is useful for me with whomever we whoever's doing that or view is doing that you know uh, people think i don't sleep i sleep eight hours every night most of my productivity a lot of its organization some of its drive and the vast majority the vast majority of it is that i have the energy available to me that i don't give to things I can't control or change. Right. And so the world is full of ignorance. It'll always be full of ignorance. Correct. And people will be up to no good in every sphere of life, in every niche. Unless it's my responsibility to police them or control them for a particular reason or engage them, I can only control what I'm doing. And this is what I can do for the world and the people who cross my path. Unless you're called, it's your dharma or your call to that kind of activism, that's different. But for me, I think let's focus on the things we can control. Of course. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think that's a valid point, you know. Um, and, and to the extent I was just exp trying to talk about these issues that I find tumultuous within this space. Yeah, it's fraught with nonsense and it's, it's, it's problematic. It's a complex issue. It really is a complex issue. For me, I end up 
speaking with very well-intentioned and respectful uh, Westerners who are engaged in Indian spirituality, nothing in my school's um, uh, a page or message says, come here yeah. if you do yoga. But so many of my students do yoga and they want to honor the roots of yoga to the point that I got approached to, to write a book on the myths of behind the asanas. And this is not something I ever saw myself doing. But this is who needs this enrichment, people who really want to honor and deepen their connection. So I'm in that maybe more positive echo chamber. And yeah. oftentimes I find myself absolving these people or they're looking for absolution, probably in the wrong places, but saying, look, I mean, you're, you're being respectful. Uh, you're doing what you can. Uh, yeah. You know, you're becoming part of the change. Right. Right. And so like, and I do find, so here also, I think there's like this idea of cultural appropriation, um, I, this concept, it also sits with me like at some level, what is happening is a lot of people are saying, if you're not Indian, you can't do X, or if you're not this, you can't do this. And I, I think that is- Sounds a little prejudicial, doesn't it? Well, it sounds idiotic to me. It sounds <laughs> utterly stupid to me. I, I feel like you could be white, black, yellow, red, whatever color the universe provides. And if you're practicing a Hindu tradition and you're doing it with Shraddha, Bhakti, with true resolve Ooh, it's swabhava right yeah not by yeah. the color of the skin but the content of the character that's right, that's right. You're right and i feel like we have this people getting upset all the time you know about these cultural appropriation ideas they're, just they're, because they're, someone else is wearing it listen listen on all sides of the political spectrum yeah there are folks who live to be outraged and okay. to facilitate an outrage, so be it. It's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not for me. Some yeah. yoga, not v yoga. Yeah. For me, no, for me. Absolutely. I mean, but because I do engage with some of these people, it's, uh, <laughs> I have to make sure my uh, my weapons are ready at hand. And by that, I mean my intellectual Viveka weapons. No, um, for, for me, it's look when I speak when I engage with someone and speak to them and they want to talk to me about a group or someone else. What I find useful is keeping the conversation between us. What's your issue? What, what, shall we, what can we talk about? But as soon as it shifts to like what a nation is doing or what a corporation is doing, what can we do? Like what, 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 are, what are we solving for right now? Sure, sure. And, 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 that, and that, but that problem exists because of a million, right? It doesn't exist outside of the milieu. It, like any of a lot of the, these existential problems that exist now are obviously due to larger issues that are happening globally. So some they're all interconnected, right? At some level. So without question. So that conversation does expound to larger points because it's not just about the particular issues that the individual is having about appropriation, but it might be a larger issue about what is my role in that world. How do I engage with that world that exactly. that has a different, entirely different viewpoint? And but I'm coming it from here, and I don't know how to think differently about this, right? And this is where mm -hmm. I think, like, where a lot of the work that I mean, the work that you're doing, but also the 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 dialogues people need to have on this, and and leeways that people need to give each other to to mess up and and to and to and, and to fix it and whatever has to be present, right? But we also have to have some levels of like okay, we are playing within limits, right? Like 
yeah, I get the West um, in many ways has no respect for for you know things whether it's drying Mohammed or or putting Ganesha on toilet statue, I mean uh, toilet or or like slippers. There's no respect, and like the respect is for freedom of speech. But is that okay? And the, and that I feel oh, like is the conversation also plays a role. We can't control what others do. No, hundred percent true. Hundred percent true. We can't control it. And by focusing on the nonsense, where does that get us? Unless we can change it, that's different. Well, again, I, I I come from a perspective where I don't think I can change anything. Um, I all I can do <laughs> is just say things, and things will occur on their own, not due to me, but because of this causal chain of actions. But at that point, that thing still has to be done, right? Like change doesn't occur without conversation on change or action on Here, it. I was. Um one of the interviews i did earlier this year was for the bbc it was a it was a panel on ganesha for ganesha tortilla I, it was a great one with lena Hetty. yes yeah. yes and it reminds me of something i didn't know existed i actually attuned the uh, <laughs> the producers about it because i did some googling because you know I, yeah. I i generally find much online discourse and spaces can be a, a bit toxic so i didn't know it existed but it there was toxic. this there was this <laughs> charming australian ad where ganesha was among the gods of all the ancient world uh eating lamb mm, yummy and uh, you might as well have christ eating dog right like that's right. how offensive that is to, and it's like okay well clearly that needs to be called out for me if for me it's like look we can't control what others do yeah and i think there's so much pain in the Indic world there's, there's a massive wound that hasn't healed for a couple hundred years. It's part of the zeitgeist. And yeah. part of why this is so offensive is because it hurts so much because we feel personally belittled. How dare you do this to our family and our religion? And no, Ahamkara, like just, if you can adopt the same teachings you're trying to defend and let it go and rise above. Yeah, I don't, to personally, I don't give a crap what people do. No, no. I mean, in terms of like the out, the general zeitgeist of outrage. Like, yeah, yeah. But but this yeah, is the point yeah. is like personally, like like if you put, because again, I believe in karma. I don't believe that <laughs> I have any of this control. Like my my anger doesn't add to karma. Like if you do these things of having Ganesha on uh, eating lamb or whatever, eat, I'm not upset about it. I think you're an idiot, but I'm right to think so. And then there's karma. It just plays out. I I can't. I have no role in that game. Like that's between you and the universe and the universe will work itself out. And, and, and the thing is like, for me, ultimately, like this is just, I, mean, I like discussing these things. I never, never care. I don't get offended. A lot of things like even for me, because I know that if I believe, and I do truly believe in this, this entire worldview that we come from in the Hindu sense, then if I believe in that, then my anger does nothing. Right, like we each have our journeys, we each have our paths, we each have our 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 own karmas to to have played out and to have to play. And so, because of that, like I don't feel this need to like defend gods. I don't feel the need to defend uh, uh, ideas. I would love people to learn the actual idea. That's my to get the knowledge out. That's more my concern than getting the, the, the combat ignorance. But I don't care what people do at the end of the day, right? Because this is action. 
and ultimately action is all what Hinduism is fundamentally about, right? I don't know. My little rant. Oh, it makes sense. I mean, there's a reason why we're on this, we're having this conversation because you're you're a sensible interlocutor. You're not, you know, you're not here to push buttons or have buttons pushed. You're here to have honest, open conversation about these important issues, um, without question. I mean, this is what this is. This is why we have podcasts, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on on that note, how do you? So, you know, we've I think we discussed last time this idea of timeless truths and and um, it's it's like engagement in our world today. So how, how would you talk about these timeless truths? And for example, like what would you use as a timeless truth that maybe our traditions have, have, have spoken about? And then like, how, how do we bring it to play in our world today? Oh, there's so many, so, so, so many. There's so many, there's, there's so much wisdom. The, the school that I founded is called the School of Indian Wisdom for this reason. It's more, it's, it's more than religion, it's more than philosophy, it's wisdom. Yeah. There's so much applicable insight about how to live a human life in so many of the Puranas, in yeah. so many of the epic. Like there's, you'd have to narrow the question. There's just so much. Yeah, um, so, I mean- Would you be an example or a situation that may help? Yeah. Oh, if I can try to think one right now. So, like, let's say a timeless truth. Let's use uh, the idea of, um, let's talk about, uh, everyone talked about Dharma. Let's talk about himself for a second, okay? What is the, the concept of nonviolence or Anir Shamshaya, right? Like the concept of non cruelty. In a world, like we live today where everything is based upon some sort of exploitation. How do we engage with these ideas of ahimsa or non-cruelty in today's world? Well, that'll depend on the person and the situation and their challenge. See, right? this is why it's always tough to have conversations with people that know uh, Dharma in some sense, I have a sense because Dharma is context, right? And so I have to give you, it's, there's not well, this general universal law don't do X. It's like no. Well, the, there are. Let me let me sh- share this distinction that might be useful for yeah. the listeners because you're probably far too wise for anything I have to say, anyways. But the listeners might. <laughs> I'm an idiot. You know. There... <laughs> so there is this ideology, this mentality of rules. Don't kill. Don't steal. Yeah. Or, or, or this thou shalt not. Rules are different from principles. Principles can be held and applied in different situations. So it's not about do this, don't do this. Dharma is subtle. That's why the Yudhishthira is scratching his head at every turn. That's why Arjuna is beside himself. The rule, do this, don't do this. But, you know, you say to do this, but the rule says that. The principle has to be applied to the situation. And this requires an openness in the mind. And it requires seeing the situation for what it is. So the spirit of Ahimsa is something that we, we embody day in and day out, those of us who aren't serial killers. <laughs> right. You know? But then how do, how do people engage with the idea of, well, meat eating versus not meat eating versus, you know, you know, there's this, you know, 
in many ways in, in many vice right communities and i belong to that it's like meetings like a, a, a super sin right mahapapa or something like that but other communities like you don't know, but like i also look around the world we have our you know much of our like most of our equipment in this world is made from some animal product um well, eating yeah. is himsa is important um meat eating is important for a lot of hindus a lot of vegans a lot of many people this is an issue for me consciousness is much more than for for me personally indian wisdom traditions is geared towards the ascension of consciousness the purification of manas um the perfection of what you know human perfection lofty goal but it's geared towards you purifying in some way there are people who will eat meat but have fairly sattvic consciousness and right. there are people who are vegetarian that have fairly tamasic consciousness yeah so it doesn't map on so readily if if eating meat is the worst thing you're doing with your life your life is actually pretty good if that's the greatest the greatest harm you're doing right is eating meat in your life then your life is pretty good most people most people are doing much more harm in many other orders of their life no i i i agree right like look there's there's that physical harm of what are meeting but like maybe you treat people terribly and you're well that's what i'm saying yeah right and so it becomes a dogmatic rule this is the this is my point it becomes a rule don't eat meat eating meat is bad no it's not a rule it's a principle the principle is do no harm right so your mother's in tears because you're an idiot but yeah. you're worried about this you're worried about this egg becoming a chicken potentially one day yeah the principle of ahimsa whether you're eating the meat or not are you living for the welfare of other beings especially your kith and kin right right the principle so that's the degree it has to be about the principle it's not going to be about oh do this don't do this it's too binary hinduism uh, indic wisdom is not about switches it's about dials it's not switches yeah. it's great it's dials it's a great analogy because I think that's right. Right, it's it, it can be a little on, a little off. You'll be totally on. <laughs> um, you know, there's that it, the entire range. Um, you know, it, it it does strike me because it's like, you know, I don't coach, but I have a lot of people that you know that that come. I to think me you before. do coach. I don't think you realize it, but I I, I think you do coach. But you know, like I strongly to- suspect that in your <laughs> in, in your in your in your um um karma sharia that I can see coaching going on there. So it's kind of- <laughs> well. Because you can't define it, I will not define it also. So in my engagement with people that come to talk to me about this people, stuff, they just... Listen, I put yeah. it this way. People come thirsty, you've got some water. That's what it is. Yeah, and, and but like for me, it's like I I don't make the water. The, I, I just point, I'm like, that's oh, where the water oh, is. Those, those are the, the best, the most profound teachers and coaches in the world are the ones who get their ego out of the way and just transmit God's grace to these people. Yeah, the water is not theirs. They're not manufacturing the H2O. Yeah. They're dispensing it. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, that's exactly how I see it. I'm like, look, I'm not doing anything for you. These are people that thousands of years before me have thought but, about this and really. Gunda. Yeah. But at the same time, how can you drink without a vessel? That's true. That's Especially true. when you're handcuffed to some ignorance. <laughs> that's true. But after you're. But the, the problem is, after you're done with the the vessel, you could throw it down and break it. And uh, <laughs> no, a smart person respects the vessel and is grateful for the vessel. Oh, I know. What no, I'm saying no, but... is, the, the the wisdom is timeless. 
the wisdom that is taught is timeless. It's Sanatana, it's, 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 it's Purana, it's ancient and timeless. But what is it that keeps that wisdom alive other than the, the vessels and the conditioning they hold? What could possibly keep the eternal alive but the temporal, corporeal karmas? This is what we do as wisdom wielders. It's not about us it's about our ability to point to embody a teaching but it's it's needed right a riverbed is needed for the water to flow right it's exactly like krishna says even in what chapter three when the he says you know like this wisdom has been lost and is now i'm bringing it back right it's timeless it exists beyond the time it'll come and go in this world as necessary and and, and i do think there, there's a point in this right now in this crux on the crack of 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 the future <laughs> that we're this need this wisdom is absolutely necessary to engage question. in the future right like how are we going to not only deal with ourselves in a more conflicted world um and, and not to say the world was less conflicted before but the interactions are getting more and more uh deeper conflict what's what's yeah. happening what's happening and it's hard to see it'll take centuries to see we are forming a globe in a true sense. We are learning to function as a species. Yeah. And that's very difficult because for the tribes of earth to unite is not a small order, but nothing short of that will avert the climate disaster. Well, I mean, the climate disaster might still happen and uh, most of us are dead uh, and that's okay. And then we'll come back. Yes, but there are more people than us who are going to be here then. What I'm saying is that for us to tackle the issues we need to tackle, the pandemic, the climate, these are sure. issues that transcend, you know, I think of Indic traditions as very syncretic, as folding in, like Brahmanism is brilliant. You know, yeah. Vedic sacrifice, great. That's where is that? Let's uh, Upanishadic ideology, let's fold that in. That's the, yeah. the, the crown jewel of Indian philosophy. You know, Puranas, let's fold that in. Tantra, well, a little arm slung, but let's fold some of that in too. We really like yeah. this whole Nyasa stuff and like yoga, let's fold that in folding in this is what i mean by print there's, there's something about the indic world that's very different from switches and abrahamic sure. ideology it's about folding in no, and so i absolutely. think we have to find a platform whereby to fold in different perspectives but i also think it's interesting that even when we talk about things like climate change and pandemic again this is fundamentally from our hamkata right like from the world from the perspective of the world the world will still abide after us like this, this is all about us as a species. It's not really how much we get. But it's more than that, Mukunda. It's more than it's more than that because the the ecosystem is sick. Yeah, it's not just us that's too sick. The ecosystem's sick. Yeah, but that's because of us, and you know. From, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, it's beyond just. It's beyond us. I mean, objectively, the ecosystem is sick. Yeah, but but I think I think that's this is where I, this is my particular point is. We would not care the ecosystem of sick, but for the fact that we will lose, right? I think and most, where... but, I, but I think there are some just that you're capable of helping someone because you care that person is imperiled. There are those who really care about the, the planet. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, there are some, but I just feel like when we talk as a society or as a world, as humanity, as we're talking to these, these globe, I mean, these people trying to come together, the reason we care 
is because it's going to actually affect us without question and our children and grandchildren it's without question that's what motivates people self-interest and and to be frank and and this is also is only reason the west cares now which they didn't care for 200 years for a large part when they were colonizing the world and and doing the same thing is it's affecting them and and this is where i do find where you know and this is a little political but just the the sense of well are we in are we in the west are we the west now or no yeah yeah i am a westerner and so it's it's an indication so when you say it's affecting them it's affecting us you mean yeah yeah it's affecting us right but absolutely but but i i put myself in that group um of Mm. the west because i am at the benefit of hundreds of millions of people globally that have that we're working on the backs of right and there's a recognition that at, at this point also is what are we doing to lessen their burden and is it just we're lessening the earth's burden for our purpose are we lessening the, the burden for other people and i think this is where the indic wisdom comes into play is to think about these issues one of the things one of the projects that i'm involved in is a project for the international society for the red cross uh-huh. They uh, are interested in rules of armed conflict from other traditions. They're responsible for international humanitarian laws yeah. related to the Geneva Convention. Sure. Um, and enforcing them or teaching them at very least. Um, and so it really, you know, it, it's it's a it's rather than let's impose just war theory onto, you know, that's been done. I mean, um, it's how do we enrich this conversation by understanding indigenously Indic views on armed force yeah. and so we're looking at dharma yudha and various combat ethics in the yeah. Mahabharata, and the other shastra i just actually submitted a report to them a couple of days ago um but one of the points i made in a couple of paragraphs in the conclusion was understanding these rules are important this gives you a sense of okay you in, in combat you have to attack somebody you can't attack somebody who's sleeping or with a mm-hmm. with a poisonous arrow or etc 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 right etc but more than that it's not about these are the rules to follow one has to understand it's a spirit of compassion and ahimsa that is to be adopted by the person by the warrior the warrior right. is one who should be transformed in some sense by this wisdom and go about in the world not oh it's my job to care and protect that's what i'm going to do it's a spontaneous emanation of your care so and that's and to care to care about the world to care about other organisms to to care whether it affects me or not this is the cultivation of compassion i totally agree with you and it just is a, a random thought that pops up it's totally tangential but i feel like when you read a, a hindu text when it lists out all the, but if not this, 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 but if not, it's this really exhaustive way of saying, don't look at the the minutia here, even though we're giving you the minutia, it's for you to think it's about. It's not the about way. the rules. It's about yeah. the principle. Right. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. It's not about go read some Shastra by yourself and come back wise and learn. It's about study with someone. Be transformed. Change your being. Right. So that you can understand the Shastra. The Shastra can't be understood unless you're transforming your awareness alongside what you're trying to learn. You see... It's it, it, the rules are not like if this, if then that, if this, then that, do this, 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 and this, and put a bow on it, 
no the rules are just describing what happens naturally what one is naturally called to do with a certain state of consciousness right right okay um do we hit all our topics or is there anything else that uh we're missing here i don't know listen uh, who knows i mean i, I enjoy <laughs> speaking with you um i think we're good i mean i'm good i just wanted to chat with you um what Absolutely. comes to mind just just if people are interested they know where they can find me right yeah you just put that link up rajbalkway.com yeah, you know uh, your website plus the, um the links and, to the and if there if there are people out there into yoga interested in yoga there's a book that's coming out called the stories behind the poses It'll be out, uh, I believe, in June 2022. It's already okay. available for pre-order on Amazon. It's 50 um, poses, and they're the, the, the Puranas, or the, 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 the stories that are related to what the pose is trying to facilitate. I think that might be of interest to some people. So, I mean, I don't want to ask you too much about it, because I know people uh, should read it, but... so no, that's how fine. That... I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind. Okay, so how does that connect to, like, you know, this... Um, it's all about sharing knowledge, right? I don't yeah, know. yeah. So, so, I mean, this idea that was recently put out, you know, like a few years ago, was it Mark, I forget, Mark Singleton, who talked about um, how most of this asanas were developed in the past, you know, whatever, like 100 years through, uh, through uh, interaction with the Swedish gymnast kind of worldview. Um, so your 50 asanas you cover is this kind of a rebuttal to that or is it kind of more of like uh, it's not uh, firstly it's not an academic book what it is it's it's a book that it's there um it's an illustrated book uh-huh for each of 50 asanas there's an illustration of the asana and a story pertaining to the asana in some cases that's very very instinctive like bhairavasana is related to Bhairava, a wrath yeah. form of Shiva. Um, um, Vishwamithasana is related to the sage Vishwamitra. So I'll tell the story of the sage, but I'll tell why the features of the story, the themes of the story, are directly relevant to the consciousness um, of the post. I see. Right? Okay. And so uh, why are these poses named after mythic uh, junctures, after sages, right. after, after devatas? Yeah. Why is that the case? Clearly, it's very important for what you are striving after in the pose. You see, that's the sort of premise of the book. I mean, some of it's maybe fun because the stories are narrated, they're retold in an interesting way. But then towards the end of each story, the sort of the spiritual insight, the mythological wisdom of that story, what it's trying to teach you about life. Parvatasana, for Parvatasana, there's lots of stories about mountains. I mean, I mean, you're, 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 you're you're the the local uh, Mount Meru representative, <laughs> <laughs> the pillar of the world. But yeah. Parvatasana is what? What story to tell? Well, there's lots of mountain poses. I tell a story of Shiva. Yeah. I tell the story of Shiva receiving Ganga on his head. How right, grounded right. do you have to be to, to break the descent of the Ganges falling from heaven to earth? This is Parvatasana. The story is related. It may not be obvious. It may not be a traditional story told for that pose, or it may be. Right, so the, it, it'll it gives you insight into the world view, so you can understand what, um, what whether the asanas are new or not is beside the point. Consciousness right. is not new, and human beings aren't new. Right, right. It's a question of what element of consciousness and awareness and experience is, is being cultivated. Right, 
through the story or through the pose. Okay, so that, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, good. And I did that without you know, without arguing with academics. Look at that. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be like a really good. Uh, um, it's not it's a non academic book, so we, it's a great book to share with like my yogi friends. Um, exactly, or even yeah. so, and it's it's meant to be. Speaking of your love of sound, it's meant to be read out loud. It's written okay. in a way that's that's sort of hopefully poetic and sort of it's. Well, it's you're about... gonna do an audio book with that, aren't you? I guess I have to at some point. Someone asked me already if I, I don't know how that works. You'll have to teach me about these things. I'm a neophyte with this. I don't know how audiobook work works. I just think you should have someone like, I don't know, Keith David or uh, um, a, a solid like Ian McKellen or something to, to, to narrate this, right? It would be fantastic. Well, if anybody knows them, by all means, send them rajbalkorn.com. Okay, send them to me. <laughs> Uh, so uh, it was um it was great talking to you again uh Raj. you know i really appreciate your time i know you've got so much going on and you know i really uh enjoy it um we cover a lot of different interesting things you know and i, I feel like it's a it's a good synergy you know, i definitely want to bring you back on um maybe i'm thinking down the line we can have like two or three other guests we can do like a that would be cool kind of thing. that would uh, be cool conversation right yeah conversation yeah. no i i very much appreciate um the conversation with you and uh, all the more that you know uh, others can listen in on it now that we're recording it and sharing it but it's 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 where it's at for me it's it's exchanging ideas exchanging perspectives learning growing right right so so it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure and i would i would hop back on anytime absolutely so uh thank you everyone uh thank you uh dr balkron raj uh, for joining us and we'll see you next time on meru media Yamuna Tire Gayati <laughs>